Now, if you're able, I'd like you to stand with me as we hear the word of the Lord read together. I'm going to read 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 17. Uh, 1 Peter 3, 8 through 17. This is the word of the Lord. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will. Than for doing evil. Grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord remains forever. You may be seated. Let me pray for us again. Uh, Father, we ask you to be with us as we consider your word. Uh, Lord, we know that uh, like rain on a dreary day in December, uh, studying passages about suffering and persecution um, are not always what we want to hear, Lord. Uh, we'd rather celebrate and rejoice, but Lord, we know that uh, this passage is for our good. Uh, we know that um, there are serious days in our lives, days when uh, we need these truths. Uh, Father, we thank you that you love us and care for us enough to tell us hard things. Uh, we pray, Lord, you'd help our hearts to be quick to hear today, uh, quick to listen. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you'd be at work in us. In name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning, uh, we're continuing in our study of the book of First Peter. And we're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, verses 8 through 17 that I just read for us. And over the past few months, uh, we've seen some significant themes emerge in Peter's letter uh, that he's written to these Christians who have been driven from their homes by the Roman Emperor Claudius. Uh, We've heard Peter celebrate the truth uh, that we have been born again into a sure and living hope. Uh, He celebrates the truth that we're born again into an inheritance. Uh, He tells us it's imperishable, that it is undefiled, that it is unfading, that it is kept in heaven for us, and that we are kept by God for heaven. Uh, Peter has explained to us that we will experience suffering in this life as our faith is tested, as our faith is proven to be genuine. Uh, We've also heard Peter call us to live holy, to holy living um, as exiles, and he does this for our own spiritual benefit, but he also calls us to holy living for the benefit of a watching world. And in 1 Peter 2, 11 through 12, he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And and with these verses here in um, 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, Peter begins a portion of his letter where 
he begins to give specific instructions to specific segments within the church uh, regarding, um, regarding keeping their conduct honorable among the Gentiles. Uh, he writes specifically about submitting to the government. Uh, he writes specifically to servants, calling on them to obey their masters, uh, even when their masters don't deserve it. Uh, he wrote specifically to wives, calling on them to submit to their husbands. He wrote to husbands, calling on them to rightly love and serve their wives. Uh, Peter has addressed our relationship to the government. He's addressed the relationship between servants and their masters, and, and he's addressed the relationship between husbands and wives. And, and each time he's done so, uh, calling on us to live in such a way that the truth of the gospel will be evident through our lives. Uh, Peter's concern is that his readers understand and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ for them and that their lives be presented to those around them as evidence of the truth of that gospel in their relationships and even in how they suffer. Uh, Peter has already spoken of suffering uh, several times in this letter, and it remains a theme in our passage this morning and throughout the rest of this book. And, and these Christians who were the first recipients of Peter's letter, um, they had known suffering. Um, they had experienced significant suffering. Uh, they had already um, been... Ex forcibly expelled uh, from their homes, from their communities, and they were forced into exile. And Peter uh, knew that this unjust suffering, because of their faith in Jesus Christ, because of their commitment to Jesus Christ, um, he knew that this would continue to follow them wherever they went. You know, at the time when this letter was written, uh, Christians were primarily suffering what we, we might call um, social persecution. Uh, they were losing jobs. They lost status in their community uh, they might be expelled from their community. They were denied the privileges and opportunities that others enjoyed in their society. Uh, but this was not yet kind of the brutal persecution uh, that Rome would later kind of un unleash on them that we think of when we think of the persecution of the church in the first century. Uh, it's kind of the early days of persecution that um, the commentators have referred to as uh, just a, a social persecution. Um, they were experiencing what we would call unjust suffering. Uh, suffering that they had done nothing to deserve. And, and in fact, based on how they had been living their lives, they actually deserved to be treated well. And instead, Peter tells us that these Christians were persecuted because of their good deeds. Uh, they were persecuted because of their commitment to Christ as Lord and for their allegiance to Him, um, for their allegiance to His commands. And so in our passage this morning, Peter instructs the scattered Christian community and how they should rightly respond uh, when they suffer for their faith in Jesus Christ. You know, in, in sports, there's a phrase that uh, if you've ever played any game, uh, even if you didn't play sports, if you played a game in your life, you've heard this phrase. Um, and you've, uh, either from your parents or from a coach, uh, they will say to you at some point, it's not whether you win or lose, it's how you play the game. Uh, the idea being that, that playing the game honorably according to the rules is, is more important than whether you win the game or if you lose the game. And they tell us this because in sports, if the other team is cheating, um, it's pretty easy for us to feel justified to cheat as well. Uh, if the other team is playing dirty, they're taking cheap shots, uh, we want to do the same thing back to them. And so to help us kind of fight against this temptation, uh, we need to be reminded from time to time that how we play the game is as important as the outcome of the game. Well, in our passage today, Peter is essentially telling us that faithful gospel living, even in the face of persecution for our faith, is more important for our souls than whether we win or lose in this life. Uh, Peter tells us that faithfulness isn't judged uh, by worldly outcomes, but in how we play the game. And so Peter's instructions are necessary for us because they fly in the face of our sinful instincts. 
Um, and those of us who've played any game, whether it's Monopoly or soccer or some sport, we know kind of we know what we're talking about here. Uh, we tend to respond to any hint of criticism, um, any hint of suffering, any hint of persecution that we think is unwarranted with what I'm going to call um, aggressive self-defense, right? Um, that's kind of our natural response. If we think someone's criticizing us, if we're suffering, if we're being persecuted, and we don't think we deserve it, then our instinct is just aggressive self-defense and even to attack them. And we do this because none of us are interested in suffering in the first place, uh, but we definitely are not interested in suffering unjustly. And yet Peter tells us that if we follow Jesus, if we follow his word, this will happen. And this is also true for us today. Uh, Christians face varying levels of persecution around the world. Uh, in some countries, Christians continue to face violent persecution. Uh, in the West, uh, we may be beginning to see some of what Peter's talking about, this level of social persecution. Uh, discussing this, um, Daniel Doriani, one of the commentators, says, if we live by God's standards, we will never quite fit, in, uh, fit into any human culture. This was true in the empire, where Christians' allegiance to Jesus as Lord and refusal to worship the emperor could be taken as a sign of dissent. Uh, today, there's always a moral cause, often involving sexual ethics, in which evangelical Christians take the minority view. Uh, to the secularist, the Christian position might sound judgmental, intolerant, or bigoted, so we court disfavor. And so if we're committed to following Jesus and his commands in our shifting culture, we very well may find ourselves objects of social persecution. That's what Daniel Doriani is kind of explaining here. And since we know um, that just like Peter's readers, we will face suffering for our allegiance to Christ and to, for our allegiance to his word, uh, we need to pay careful attention to Peter's instructions to the church today. And so this morning, we're going to walk through this passage together. Um, it's going to be a little different than what you're used to from me. Usually, I'm a pretty straight-line guy, and this is a semi-straight line, which is, uh, for a guy who likes straight lines, it's, it's kind of out there for me. Uh, so uh, today, we're going to walk through the passage together. Uh, we're going to look at Peter's instructions uh, that we find in verses 8 through 11, and then we're going to spend just a few minutes uh, looking at three promises that Peter calls us to remember when we face the prospect of suffering for Christ. And we find those in verses 11 through 17. And as Peter begins, he gives us two, two sets of instructions. And in verse 8, we find that first instruction, as Peter tells us how, how we should relate to our other suffering Christians. So I'm going to read verse 8 again for us. It says this, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. And so in this verse, uh, Peter moves from speaking to, you know, he'd been speaking to just different segments of the Christian community, you know, husbands and wives, servants, masters, um, the community and the government. Uh, he kind of moves from that kind of speaking to specific groups uh, to speaking to the entire Christian community all at once. You know, and the question is, well, well, how should a suffering church relate to one another? Um, if we're all suffering, how do we relate to one another? Well, in answer to this question, uh, Peter gives us five virtues. Uh, that we're exemplified in Jesus Christ, uh, that we're now called on to emulate as we seek to follow him. Uh, Peter tells us that as we weather suffering as a community, we're to possess a unity of mind with one another. Um, this doesn't mean that we, we never disagree with one another. Uh, it does mean uh, that we're to be united uh, with one another by our shared faith in Jesus Christ, our shared focus on the mission of the gospel. Uh, Peter also tells us that we're to show sympathy to one another. Um, as we go through this Christian life together, uh, we are to rejoice together in seasons of rejoicing. We are to grieve together in seasons of grieving. 
um, as we experience the varied seasons of life together in sympathy for one another, um, we share in that experience. Uh, Peter uh, returns to the theme of the church as a family uh, brought together by Jesus Christ. Uh, because of our having been brought together by Jesus Christ, we're to share in brotherly love. Um, it's another virtue he tells us to put on, to, to have towards one another as we share in suffering. Uh, we're to approach each other in brotherly love as a family brought together by faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, the fourth virtue that Peter tells us to live out in Christian community is having a tender heart. Uh, he tells us to have compassion on other believers all of the time, uh, but especially when they're suffering for their faith. And the fifth virtue that Peter tells us to show to our fellow suffering Christians is humility. Uh, Peter wants us to love and to care for our fellow Christians as more important than ourselves. Uh, when we're suffering, uh, going through a season of suffering, it's very easy for us to kind of lock in on our own life, on our own suffering. That's kind of our focus. We want to get out of suffering as quickly as possible. Um, it's hard for us to remember to care for others who are going through similar experiences. And so Peter calls us to not only um, to love one another with brotherly love, to uh, be united in, in our minds, um, to be um, all these different things. He also tells us to be humble, uh, to be humble, to think of others as more important than ourselves. And so as Peter begins the conversation about suffering for Christ, he tells us uh, to live out these five virtues towards our fellow suffering Christians. And I know I did a real quick flyover of them, uh, but like Dave has said many weeks, uh, these passages are very full. <laughs> um, and so we can't hit everything about everything, uh, but this is kind of the general idea. Um, Peter begins the conversation about suffering for Christ uh, by telling us how we should relate to one another, to fellow Christians as we suffer. And, and, and why were these the necessary virtues for this moment? Well, if you look at these five virtues, you see that all of them ultimately, ultimately require us to care about the physical and emotional and the spiritual needs of our fellow Christians um, who are suffering simply because they are, they are Christians. Uh, like the Apostle Paul, Peter recognizes that when one part of the body of Christ suffers, the whole body suffers with it. Uh, when fellow Christians suffer for their faith in our church, in our city, in our country, or around the world, you know, we're to grieve with them. Uh, we're to extend the love and grace of Christ towards them, uh, whether that's through physically coming to their aid or through lifting them up in prayer. And so Peter begins by providing instructions on how suffering Christians relate to one another. And then, as if it wasn't challenging, verse 8 is already a very challenging verse. Uh, verse 8 is not challenging enough. We move to verse 9. Uh, in verse 9, Peter goes on to tell us how we should relate to an unbelieving world, even as we suffer at their, at their hands. I'm going to read verse 9 again for us. It says, Do not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Peter doesn't only want us to show the love of Christ to other Christians, but he wants us to show the love of Christ to those who persecute us as well. Uh, here in verse 9, Peter calls on us to reject our sinful instincts. Uh, he calls on us to, return evil, uh, to not return evil for evil. And he's not saying that Christians can't use you know, the civil government for protection or for justice. He's saying that Christians uh, should not seek vigilante justice, uh, that we shouldn't take vengeance into our own hands, uh, responding to evil deeds committed against us by committing our own evil deeds. Uh, Christians are not to return evil for evil. Uh, he also tells us that we're not to return reviling for reviling. And here Peter is primarily talking about the words that we use, right? Uh, reviling, uh, mocking, uh, using harsh words and language. You know, it's, it's very easy to respond to a hateful comment with one of our own. Uh, we know this, uh, especially when it's in self-defense, right? Uh, 
You know, how, how do we talk to those on the other side of the argument? Uh, what, what language are we using online when talking to or about those who are hostile to our faith or uh, hostile to our way of life? You know, how, how are we conducting ourselves in, in the public sphere? Uh, Peter, echoing the teachings of Jesus, tells us that we are to return blessing when we are reviled. And, and why are we to bless rather than to revile? Because we're called to this. That's what he, he says, we're called to this. Um, just a few verses earlier, in 1 Peter uh, 2, 19 through 21, uh, while he's talking about the relationship between servants and masters, uh, Peter says, For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and, and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Uh, so when Peter says, you've been called to this, unfortunately, <laughs> what he's saying is that we've been called to suffer, um, even when we were doing the right thing. Uh, Peter makes it clear in these verses and in other verses in this book that followers of Jesus Christ are called to do good and to suffer for it anyway, um, just as our Lord <laughs> lived a perfect life and suffered for us. And so we bless when we're reviled, uh, when we receive evil for the good we've done, because we're called to this. Uh, we're called to suffer righteously. Uh, Daniel Doriani explains these, uh, this verse with these words. He says, Jesus commanded us to love our enemies, to pray for them, and so to bless them. He practiced what he preached, speaking words of blessing from the cross. We can do the same in politics and work, in families and in our friendships. Uh, Edmund Clowney, another commentator, he points to the death of Stephen, uh, recorded to, uh, for us in Acts 7. Uh, we, you know, we know the story of the death of Jesus, right? As he prays for the forgiveness of those who are killing him. Um, in Acts 7, uh, we've studied this a few, few months ago, right? As Stephen is martyred for his faith, he prays for the salvation of those who are casting the stones. Um, and we know that God answers that prayer at least once, right? Um, as Saul, uh, who we later know as Paul, is, is there with him. Um, because we know the blessing of salvation secured for us in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can respond to evil deeds and to mocking words by praying for the salvation of those who harm us. That's what Peter tells us. Because we've been blessed, because we've received the blessing, um, we can bless those who seek our harm. And we experience the blessing of suffering for the sake of our faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, it's, it's such a weird thought, right? Uh, so it's a weird thing. Uh, but we find it throughout the New Testament. In Acts 5, uh, the apostles rejoice to be counted worthy to suffer dishonor in the name of Jesus. Uh, Peter tells us that it's a spiritual blessing to suffer because of our obedience to the Lord. And uh, the idea of putting blessing and suffering together, is just, it's a strange one for most of us, right? Uh, it's not strange in the New Testament, uh, but it's not a theme we like to dwell on long. Uh, but here we have it in this passage this morning. Peter tells us it's a spiritual blessing to our souls uh, when we get to suffer because of our obedience to the Lord. And then in verses 10 through 11, Peter quotes Psalm 34 to reinforce what he said. I'm going to read those verses again for us. These are verses 10 through 11. He says, For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. And so Peter, I'll give you a heads up. Throughout this whole passage, Peter uh, is 
quoting other passages. He pulls ideas from other passages. We won't hit all of them, but this one's from Psalm 34. He quotes a portion of Psalm 34 that tells us that if we, des- that if we desire to know good days, uh, then we need to control our tongues. Uh, we must keep our tongues from speaking evil, that we must keep our tongues from speaking um, uh, from, uh, uh, from speaking deceit, uh, that we need to keep our tongues from speaking lies. Psalm 34 tells us to control our words. Um, it tells us to control our actions. We are to turn away from doing evil, uh, that we are turned instead to doing good. We're to seek peace. Um, in verses 8 through 11 of this chapter, Peter instructs us in how to rightly respond to persecution for our faith. And his concern is that even under the duress of suffering, that our lives give evidence to the truth of the gospel. That's kind of Peter's theme over and over again in this letter. Um, he wants our, as we await the return of the Lord, he wants our lives to give evidence to the truthfulness of the gospel. And he wants us, us to do this and to pursue this for the benefit of our own, soul, own souls, uh, but also for the benefit of the Christian community, uh, for the benefit of those who are looking on, who are outside of the Christian community. Uh, he wants our lives to be a witness to other believers as they see God's faithfulness to us. Uh, he wants our lives to be a witness to those who are unbelievers and even those who are persecuting us as they see us pursue faithfulness in our living. And so in verses 12 through 17, uh, we find three promises uh, that Peter calls us to remember when we face the prospect of suffering for Christ. In this first section, we heard, we heard several instructions about how do we respond rightly to suffering. And in verses 12 through 17, we're going to find three promises uh, that Peter calls us to remember when we face the prospect of suffering for Christ. And we need to hear these promises this morning because what Peter's calling us to do um, in this passage is incredibly hard. I don't even like preaching about it, right? This is a hard, this is a hard thing to do. Uh, I have a strong sense of justice, right? Uh, my mom can confirm that. Siblings, Amanda probably could mention it too. Um, yeah, I got a strong sense of justice. I, I definitely don't want to be suffering unjustly or falsely accused. And a lot of us are like that. Um, it's very hard for us to consider responding um, in obedience to this passage. And so we need to hear these promises this morning. Uh, to willingly suffer uh, for doing good, to, to respond to evil with blessing, to control our tongues under duress, those are hard things. Um, you know, even Those are hard for us even as the blessed recipients of God's great mercy, right? Peter tells us in the first chapter that we are the blessed recipients of God's great mercy uh, that has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He tells us that we've been born again into this uh, inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading that's kept in heaven for you, and that we are, by God's power, also being guarded for our salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And so we know that we're incredibly blessed, and yet what Peter calls us to is still a challenge. Um, This remains an incredibly difficult calling. So this morning, we're going to take a few minutes. uh, We're going to look at these promises that we find in this passage. Uh, The first promise that Peter calls us to remember when we face the prospect of suffering for Christ is this. The Lord sees all that is happening. So the first promise that Peter calls us to remember when we face the prospect of suffering for Christ is this. uh, The Lord sees all that is happening. I'm going to read verses 12 through 13 again. They say this, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? You know, as Peter concludes his quote of Psalm 34, he reminds us of this truth, that the Lord watches over his people, that the Lord hears their prayers, 
that the Lord sees your suffering, that he hears your prayers, and that he is on your side. And we see this in Peter's kind of rhetorical question in verse 13. After assuring us that the Lord is on our side, he asks, now who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? It's, it's very similar to, when, um, to Romans 8.31, when Paul asks, uh, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? You know, the, the point of Peter's question is not that you will never face suffering in this life. He's gone into great detail about how you're going to experience suffering in this life. His point is not that you'll never face suffering in his life. His point is that even as we experience suffering, uh, we can know that we are eternally secure. Because if we are in Jesus Christ, then Jesus has guaranteed that God is on our side. And so the first promise that Peter calls us to remember when we face the prospect of suffering for Christ is, is that the Lord sees all that is happening. Um, and, and then kind of wrapped up in that picture of the Lord seeing is this idea that the Lord sees, that he knows, that he cares, and that he's on our side. The second promise that Peter calls us to remember when we face the prospect of suffering for Christ is this. Uh, the Lord blesses those who suffer for his sake. So the second promise is that the Lord blesses those who suffer for his sake. I'm going to read the beginning of verse 14 again for us. It says, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Uh, these are challenging words from Peter. And in this commentary on this passage, uh, Edmund Clowney, he really helps us to better understand this, this paradox that Peter is presenting to us of being blessed even as we suffer. So I'm going to read kind of a little bit of a passage from Edmund Clowney's commentary. He says, Peter cites the psalm to describe the blessing of the life to which Christians are called. Those who practice the love of compassion, refrain from speaking evil and pursue peace, are blessed by the Lord. His eyes are on them. He hears their prayer. The blessing that they inherit reaches to eternal life, but it also fills this life with good days. Peter affirms this, although he knows that days of suffering will come. Yet the blessing of the Lord will make days of suffering good days in his favor. A good day in a television beer commercial uh, pictures friends drinking in the sunset at a fishing lodge. I'm not going to argue with Edmund Clowney, but I've never heard of a fishing lodge. Uh, but anyway, a good day in television beer commercial pictures friends drinking in the sun sunset at a fishing lodge. It doesn't get any better than this, they say. A good day in the book of Acts shows Paul and Silas in a Greek prison. Uh, their backs bleeding, their feet in stocks, they're singing psalms at midnight, perhaps Psalm 34. Uh, Silas, now sitting beside Peter, would remember with him the word of Jesus, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. And then Clowney goes on, he says this, Christians should therefore not think it strange that they are called to endure persecution, yet they must understand that suffering is not the opposite of blessing. Jesus had declared those to be blessed who suffer for righteousness. He promised them a reward in heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who are before you. You know, that word of Jesus is more than a promise. It pronounces blessing. Those who will receive a heavenly reward are already blessed by the Lord. Peter emphasizes this. Those who suffer receive the benediction of Christ as a present possession. Uh, their time of suffering has been made a time of blessing. And so Edmund Clowney kind of helps us understand how Peter can tell us that we are both suffering and blessed at the same time. In the first chapter of this letter, Peter laid out for us the incredible blessings that we've received. Uh, he's told us that we are the recipients 
of the right now blessings that God shows to his children, and that we are the recipients of an eternal salvation gifted to us by the Father, guaranteed by the Son, tested by suffering, and celebrated at the return of Christ. And so in the book of 1 Peter, you know, Peter tells us that our blessings in Christ are real in the present, uh, that they are real in the future, and that they are secured for us in Jesus Christ. And so that's the second promise that Peter calls us to remember when we face the prospect of suffering for him. Um, this idea that the Lord blesses those who suffer for his sake. Uh, the third promise that Peter calls us to remember uh, when we face the prospect of suffering for Christ is this. Uh, the Lord will return in both judgment and mercy. The Lord will return in both judgment and mercy. I'm going to read verses 14 through 17 of our chapter. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Uh, one of the themes of this book is the reality that Christ is returning, and this idea that the fact that Christ is returning uh, should affect how we live right now. Um, in Isaiah 8, uh, which Peter is um, drawing from here, in Isaiah 8, Isaiah tells the people not to fear the Assyrian army who's coming, but to fear the Lord. And drawing on this, Peter tells us not to respond to the threats or to the presence of suffering by fearing those who can persecute us, but instead to fear Jesus Christ as Lord. And this reminds us of Peter's life. Uh, once, uh, if you all remember, Peter was scared into denying that he even knew Jesus uh, when he was confronted by a young servant girl. And then later, uh, we find Peter proclaiming to the religious leaders who had worked together to kill Jesus and who uh, were now threatening Peter and John, uh, Peter proclaims that they must obey God rather than men. And he kind of does it in a snarky way. He's like, y'all should figure it out for yourselves whether it's better for me to obey God or you, right? Peter calls us to fear Jesus as Lord uh, more than we fear uh, those who may harm us. And, and then he tells us to be prepared to give a defense, uh, not just of our faith in Jesus Christ, uh, not, not just you know, should we know, you know the tenets of the gospel. Uh, he tells us not just to give a defense of our faith, but to give a defense of our hope in Jesus Christ. Uh, he tells us to be prepared uh, to explain the hope that we have in Jesus, the hope of salvation, uh, purchased for us by the perfect life, the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. And he tells us to be prepared to do this, not only to present it, but to do it with gentleness and respect to those who wrongly persecute us. And he tells us to maintain a good conscience, uh, meaning that we strive in the power of the Spirit uh, to live in obedience to God's commands, to the commands of Jesus, and that we also repent of our sins when we fail, uh, so that those who wrongly persecute God's people will be put to shame in the end. And why does he say all this, right? Uh, because the Lord's returning. The Lord is returning, and it will be better to have suffered unjustly for the name of Christ in this life than to be put to shame in the next. That's what Peter tells us. Uh, Peter promises that the Lord is returning in mercy towards all who place their faith in him and that the Lord is returning with justice towards those who opposed him and his people. And the reality of the truth of his return shapes how we live now. Uh, you know, Peter's concern is that his readers understand and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ for themselves and that their lives be presented to those around them as evidence of the truth of the gospel in their relationships and even in how they suffer, 
Uh, he wants them to be able to defend their faith, defend, defend their hope in Jesus Christ uh, when people ask. And in our passage this morning, Peter instructs uh, this, these scattered Christians, uh, this, this scattered Christian community, and how they should rightly respond uh, when they suffer for their faith in Jesus Christ. And he does this because uh, we are not quick to respond in any of these ways. Um, it's a challenging passage uh, where we approach it uh, longing to obey uh, God's word, also recognizing our humble reliance um, on God to do these things, and also knowing that we will need his grace and his forgiveness over and over again as we seek to carry it out. Um, Peter reminds them of God's promises, right? He gives them instructions, but he also gives them promises. And these are promises for his suffering people uh, to help us as we seek to imperfectly but, but faithfully follow the example of Jesus uh, who suffered so much for us. And I'm going to uh, read a passage from earlier in 1 Peter to kind of close us this morning where we see this um, laid out for us, the example of Jesus, uh, what he has done for us. For to this we have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Let me pray for us.